This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Nirvana Sisters Podcast, where we take the intimidation out of well-being and beauty to help you achieve your highest state, your nirvana. We are sisters-in-law and your hosts. I'm Amy Sherman. And I'm Katie Chandler. So let's get into some real conversation. Welcome to the show, Nirvana Sisters family. This week, we are very excited to introduce Natasha Coughlin. Natasha is an integrative and functional dietitian, nutritionist, and holistic health coach. She received her Master's of Science in Human Nutrition degree from Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. She's completed her master's thesis work at Wheel Cornell Comprehensive Metabolic Weight Control Center, and she worked with many clients ranging from endocrine issues, uh, diabetes, prediabetes, PCOS, thyroid disease, and so on. Although Natasha is classically trained dietitian, her personal and professional interests have always been in the field of functional and integrative medicine. She's received a certification of holistic health coach through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and a certification through the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy. Her interest is in health-promoting cooking, and it's brought her to the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City, which is all very interesting. I want to hear about that. And, um, and yeah, where she's trained in allergen-free diets, and today we're going to be discussing a lot of topics, one of which is eating for mental health. So these are all uh, really interesting topics. So welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. It's good to see you. It's nice to meet you, Amy. And um, So nice to meet you. Yeah, We're honored to have you on. Your background is really um, vast and exciting, and we haven't had anyone like you on the show, so we're so excited to get into it and hear all about your wisdom. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Yeah, I've, you know, I spent several years in school, and this is as a mom of three, so this is kind of my I guess, second, third career, really, after being a stay-at-home mom. So um, I've, I started my practice in 2019. So this kind of, kind of recent doing this, but really studying health and nutrition has been a, a lifelong journey. And I think as so many functional medicine practitioners, I kind of come to it from a personal place where I was struggling with my own issues, digestive mostly. Um, kind of that feeling of never feeling well and not finding any answers, um, any answers from conventional doctors. So that uh, brought me to, you know, looking for answers. And then my son's diagnosis with autism was definitely the impetus for 
just doing a lot of research and, you know, then finally getting my formal education and starting my own practice and now helping people with a variety of, of different conditions, which I enjoy and love and certainly getting that, you know, oh my God, no one has ever told me this before. Like I feel so much better. Um, so that's super, super rewarding. That's amazing. All right. Well, before we get into all of our questions, because we have a lot for you, uh, let's kick it off with our Nirvana of the week. So Amy, do you want to start us off with what your Nirvana was this week? Yeah. So I would say, and this is probably a lot of people's Nirvana over the last few weeks, my kids started school this week, um, which has been really nice to just get back into the routine. routine. I feel like Summer flew by and I wasn't quite ready for back to school, but I'm starting to ease into it. I'm just not used to the new schedule, even though we just had it a couple months ago. It just feels like summer was long, but summer was short. So I'm excited for them to get back to school and get on a routine and just get back into their back into the swing of things. So that was definitely a Nirvana for me this week. What about you, Katie? Um, I think I had a couple, but we had a party on Saturday. It was kind of like the Labor Day weekend party, if you will. Um, and we just had some friends over and it was probably one of, as Amy knows, I mentioned this a few times that we had a, did a lot of hosting this summer. It was probably one of the times that I hosted that I just like really let loose and didn't care and had a good time. <laughs> I wasn't so oh, like, good. you actually, enjoyed yes, yourself. I wasn't so crazy about all the hosting duties and, um, just kind of let loose and had fun. So that was really nice. And the kids had a great time. It was a gorgeous good. day. Yeah. What about you, Natasha? Well, I'm thinking of. Just yesterday morning, I came downstairs to pack my sixth grader for school, and she was already downstairs unloading the dishwasher. Nice. I was like, oh, I was like, um, are you okay? Do you want to just make yourself breakfast and stuff? I might come down and you know pack your lunch, but you look like you're all set. You know, it's still early, so I think I literally went back upstairs and you know read a book for a little bit in bed or something. You know, so oh my that gosh. was you know. That was kind of fun. I was like, okay, this is something new and new and different. And and then last week I, I went to Vermont with my son, which was, I just can't not mention that because we went swimming in this beautiful water, you know, sort of water hole with a um, waterfall. And then we had the most delicious maple roast chicken at like a local diner Ooh. kind of place. So, so seeing a huge smile on his face, just kind of, and he's, you know, he's my guy with autism. So as a mom, you're only as happy as your most miserable child. So he was smiling. I was happy. So definitely, definitely Nirvana right there. That's so nice. So. It was it just the two of you that went to Vermont together? It was just that's the two of us. Sweet. Yeah. 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 That's so yeah, special that's to have that time together. All right. Well, let's dive into it because we have a lot to cover. I think the, the best place to start is to help us better understand this overarching kind of theme, I guess, that you have of eating for mental health, because this mm-hmm. feels like a, a new approach that not a lot of people have maybe thought about. And, and I, I understand the respect of, um, you know, you eat a well-balanced meal and it's filled with nutrients and vitamins and things, but it, it can seem like a big mountain to climb to to really achieve that. So how, how do you address that with your clients and what does all of that mean to you? Um, well, I think when I was, you know, kind of preparing for this um, conversation, I thought of, you know, what are the messages that I want to put out? And the big thing that I just sort of kept coming back to is, you know, we need to demystify what mental health is, because I think the whole concept of the human mind that is so complex and so dependent on what the outside world is putting out, right, all the chaos, the, you know, economy, political situation, you know, what the boss is doing, thinking, etc. We kind of have to 
I think, get away from that a little bit and look inward. And I feel like a lot of times mental health um, issues are more of a result of like not what's happening around us, but what's kind of happening on the inside. And uh, I think the whole concept of, you know, the human mind sort of lives in the physical body, right? The human mind resides in the human brain. So we have to remember that, that the brain is, you know, it is part of our physical health. So we need to sort of think of it in the same way we think of supporting heart health, immune health, etc. So really making sure that we are providing the brain with what it needs and, you know, with the right conditions and not sabotaging it by doing certain things that are interfering it from being well, because ultimately the body really does want to be well. And I really believe that, right? That whole concept of homeostasis where everything has to work together just right. And, um, you know, when, when something is, is, has gone awry in the body, the body really wants to get back to the place of health and healing. We just have to provide the right conditions. So I think where I'm going with that is, you know, fuel, just making sure, as you were saying, Katie, uh, the brain needs the fuel, right? The brain needs that protein to make the neurotransmitters, which are the chemical messengers that kind of send the um, messages between the nerve cells back and forth and also between the nerve cells and the rest of the body, right? I mean, that's how we move our arm or, you know, whatever we do, it comes from that signal. So neurotrans- uh, neurotransmitters do that and they're proteins. They're made from proteins or from amino acids, which are the components of protein that we eat. So we have to make sure we eat enough. Of course, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of talk about protein just from other, you know, for maintaining lean muscle mass and for, you know, for healthy aging, etc. But um, just on the most basic sort of brain level is we need adequate protein to make sure we can make those neurotransmitters. And then things like healthy fats, right? Omega-3s, everyone is talking about, you know, your salmon and sardines and things like that. Brain is mostly fat. It's, you know, 60, 65% fat. So we have to make sure that we're getting those omega-3s, whether from eating those healthy foods um, or from supplements. And a lot of times, I mean, honestly, with my clients, it is very difficult with, especially with pollution, right? We're all hearing that fish is kind of contaminated. So it's hard to get all the omega-3s that we need from fish. Um, So I do supplement across the board from, you know, children to certainly into you know, the older years and, uh, you know, with slightly different composition of the um, DHA and the EPA, which are the two main um, fatty acids, you know, in um, the, the, the omega-3s. Um, so that's really, you know, that's, that's really kind of a big one, you know, and then of course, a variety of other vitamins and minerals, which mostly come from all our plant foods. So you kind of need those, you know, you need the protein and fat for those main sort of macronutrients. And then you have to fill in everything else with fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, all those, all those things that come from, you know, mostly from plant foods. So I think that's really, yes, you know, brain is complicated, you know, feelings, thoughts, etc. But we really need to support the physical health aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about, so from a protein standpoint, you mentioned um, fats, am I yeah. saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Omega-3 fats, yeah. Omega-3 fats. And what is the best kind of protein. So I just generally speaking, like, 
Well, I'm I'm a big proponent of just, you know, variety. I feel like we really need to eat a variety of different foods. And, you know, my clients hear me say about, you know, rotation and kind of making sure that you, um, and I think I know you guys, you know, this will probably come up in the conversation somewhere. You know, when meal planning, I usually plan for a different protein, you know, for dinner every night. So it will be, you know, mm-hmm. chicken, fish, turkey, um, you know, red meat, maybe once a week, something like that. So, Amy, as you were saying, you know, something like chicken breast, yes, it has plenty of protein, it has some other vitamins and minerals, but it may not have the same as, you know, chicken thighs, which is dark meat, you know, you might have something different in that, you know, more collagen, which again, is kind of needed for, you know, immune health, skin health, certainly brain health as well. Um, so I think the best way to go is to vary your sources and, you know, eat kind of the whole animal. Um, I love roast chicken, like organic roast chicken from Whole Foods, definitely, you know, at least once a week. It's easy. It's uh, somehow it seems inexpensive now, actually, when you think about that whole chicken for $12. I'm like, I can't even buy a pack of organic chicken breasts for $12 now. So, um, so yeah, so something like that. And then I would actually use the bones to make stock in my Instapot. So that's that then you get the minerals from the bones and you get the collagen and all of that, especially as we're going into the winter months. And uh, um, I, I do like animal protein. I'm not a, um, you know, I am sort of an advocate for the plant forward, plant heavy kind of style of eating, but uh, I'm, you know, not vegetarian and I do not, you know, advocate for being, you know, purely plant-based uh, because I think, you know, animal protein is important. It's very biologically kind of active and available to us. So that's, you know, that's kind of what I do. And that's, that's what I would recommend. So really, you know, varying your sources. And as far as fish, you know, something more fatty, like salmon, and especially if it's wild, right, wild caught is better than farmed, and or much better, I should say, I wouldn't even do farmed salmon, really. So but you know, fish can be hard, you know, with the kids, it's hard to kind of get it in all that much. But a couple of times a week is great. And then all the other times it can be, you know, other sources. And I certainly do a completely meatless meals, like a crispy tofu or something like that as a sort of a once a week option. So I would say that's, that's kind of what I recommend and do with my family. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say too, it's hard to get a lot of protein if you're more plant forward, I find mm-hmm. to get enough protein in if you're not eating fish or chicken or something else. Yeah. Right. And that's where, that's where I see even kind of circling back to mental health is research that suggests that there is more anxiety and depression in vegetarians uh, because they don't get enough protein. Because a lot of times, unless you're working with someone who is really creating a meal plan for you or even cooking for you, um, it is difficult to really get everything you need as a vegetarian and certainly vegan. I mean, being vegan would be really hard to get all the nutrients. Yeah. We, I've, I've tried a vegan diet for um, a very brief period of time and I had to work with a nutritionist to try to make sure I was getting everything in and it was, it was not easy. So you, you had mentioned your son has autism and do you, Mm -hmm. I imagine, apply the same aspects for his diet? Does, do, do you feel that food can help with things like autism, ADHD, um, like you said, yes, you, you agree to anxiety and depression, everything. So across the board, and I'm shaking my head as you can yes. see. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> what do you suggest or 
recommend for parents with children, you know, my daughter has ADHD and we've thought about trying to Mm -hmm. tweak her diet and everything to improve that. Uh, And actually her pediatrician, I was shocked, advised me against it. And let me, I'll tell you exactly why he said, really, he said, because the result that it would yield is nominal in comparison to the stress that I would put my child under by like restricting her and things like that. And maybe it would cause food issues. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I have my own food issues. I can understand that, but I was a little, I was a little surprised by, by his stance on that. So what is your opinion? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, when people don't understand something or don't, you know, don't practice something, they, they're much more likely to dismiss it and say, this is too, um, I mean, just a quick example, I went to a talk by a um, a surgeon, a gastrointestinal surgeon who was talking about reflux, right? Treating reflux. And to me, like, this is something I do every day and we do it with diet and certain, you know, lifestyle modifications. Well, this person was saying, okay, medications, then diet. Oh no, no one wants to do that. Okay. Surgery. We have this really great, you know, and I was sitting there just, you know, and my jaw completely dropped. I was like, really? Like we go to surgery that quickly and completely dismissing what diet can do for something like reflux. So, you know, I'm kind of not surprised. I mean, it's unfortunate. You know, a lot of times people who have gone through medical school, you know, 20, 25 years ago, they did not get any hours of nutrition Um instruction. I mean, they kind of do now a little bit, like 20, I heard about 20 hours of nutrition and four years of medical school. Um, So that's certainly not something that doctors know. Uh, But I, again, from my perspective, thinking of, you know, the brain and the body and how they're connected, um, you know, changing the fuel definitely changes the way the brain works. So, you know, giving it the right fuel and taking away those things that are, um, you know, we, we know that there are things that are excitatory for the brain and there are things that are inhibitory for the brain. Um, and all those things come from the food that we eat. So I absolutely believe that you can, you know, you can influence the, um, the you can influence behavior through changing the fuel that we take in and how we, you know, how we fuel our bodies. Um, so, yeah, just to answer your, I guess, the first part of your question. Um, I mean, with my son, you know, he eats a very plant heavy diet with, you know, organic grass fed animal protein, lots of fats, you know, coconut oil, like I'm a huge fan of olive oil, um, omega threes, both fish and supplements. Yeah, it's a very, very limited grains, very limited processed foods. And that's sort of how he grew up. And you were saying, you know, creating issues. I have two other kids. They, you know, they're great eaters. I mean, they they don't have any um, any issues with, you know, we don't have soda in the house or like we don't really have, you know, cookies and this and that. And I mean, I do have cookies, but it's, you know, I tell my girls like, okay, it's every couple of days or, you know, don't make it a habit. It's not really something that the body needs. You know, the body needs the all the stuff that's in the, you know, the vegetable drawer in the fridge or like in the fruit bowl in the calendar, the body needs those and the body doesn't need the, you know, the cookies and all the processed stuff. But, you know, all being said, I have a little bit of those, of course, because sometimes you need convenience. And um, I don't find that, you know, that can create any kind of issues unless, you know, you become very restrictive. And I think the best way to get kids interested in food is definitely by, you know, giving them a chance to cook, you know, to cook with you and kind of chop things and, 
I always ask kids what they want, you know, even though I already have a plan. I mean, I, I meal plan. So it's not, it's a bit of a, an illusion, but I still <laughs> ask them what they, chicken or shrimp, you know, I have both because I, you know, I shopped for, you know, three or four days. So I think, you know, eating kind of as close to all, you know, the real foods that don't come out of the box is what can ultimately, you know, make our behavior better and sort of prevent the, you know, prevent the highs and lows and, and, and all those things. Yeah. I, I um, love how so. you say this is what the body needs. The body needs this, the body doesn't need this. It's a, it's a great way to, to say it to your child to better help them understand we need this to grow and to be big and strong. Right. This is not going to do that for us. So I'm going to have to start using that trick because all my kids want are like salty processed snacks when they run home from school. And I'm trying to like, here, have the, have the fruit and have the cheese and, or the smoothie. And, you know, so it's definitely a a transition that has to go on in this house. Yeah. Yeah. I I also think the, the, the food as fuel is a good way to frame it too, because they can envision like the fuel in your car or your Mm -hmm. cell phone fuel battery. Like you got to charge up that battery versus like, but yeah, I mean, I have, teenage boys, I mean, mm-hmm. almost 13 and almost 16. And it's very difficult to balance. Like last night, for example, I made meatballs out of bison meat, which is good organic. But then I put it on pasta because I'm like, what am I, you know, it's either rice or pasta. Or like, what else do I put it with to make it like a meal? So mm-hmm. I, I always also find it hard to cook, especially for boys where like they need like a lot of food. Yeah, they so need a lot like, of food. Um, you have to be really creative. Like, I'm like, I'm not even sure what else I would give them besides rice or pasta with that, even though that's not great because it's grains. Right. Well, um, just because you mentioned meatballs, uh, what I do in my house for, and you said you need volume, uh, great veggies into your meatballs. So especially for something that's a little like drier, like bison, Mm -hmm. um, grate some zucchini, carrots, like finely chopped mushrooms, and just mix that with your, you know, with your ground meat that actually makes you know, makes volume, but it's just makes that meat so much juicier. And uh, yeah, yeah you can idea. make the meatballs or like, uh, sometimes I just like shave them into like burger, um, you know, burger shapes, you get you get some of the vegetables right um, in with that. And, uh, you know, what I do, I usually kind of, you know, I plan for a protein and then two vegetables. So I've been, um, even with something like rice, we've been making a lot of fried rice, like a veggie fried rice. And I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the whole like song and dance with the egg and the, all the steps. I mean, just saute all the finely chopped veggies and then, you know, cooked rice that's a little, you know, cooled a little and you just kind of mix it with that. And so you have your veggie rice to serve with the veggie, you know, turkey meatballs or the veggie bison bison meatball, um, meatball. So you have, you know, you kind of have the best of both worlds there. And, um, you know, potatoes, sweet potatoes, like all kinds of roast, you know, roasted veggies. Um, I'm a big fan of and um, always, always something green. Like I tell my kids, you know, green beans, broccoli, asparagus, you know, some kind of a green veggie. I have a lot of green beans in my garden right now. So I've been actually, it's been super exciting. That's good. Yeah. My my kids do eat green beans. So that's good. I just... You should serve more. <laughs> um, well, this next bit is a little bit personal for me because it's regarding paleo. And you were just the you know talking about veggie forward and protein and not a lot of grains and everything. And that's very much what paleo is. And I I don't know um, how you feel about the defined labeled 
diets as such, but I have just found it's easy for me with my autoimmune conditions to kind of keep inflammation mm-hmm. down by following a, you know, like a paleo heavy diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it really does make a massive difference. And it's funny because I go through these phases where I'm like, oh, I can eat all the carbs and whatever I want and it doesn't bother me. And then I sit back and I realize, oh, of course, this is what, this is why I felt horrible that day, you know? So when I'm mm-hmm. better about it, when I'm really diligent, it makes a huge difference. So is, is pale, do you do the paleo diet with your clients or how do you feel about it? I do. I mean, yeah, for autoimmune disease, I mean, there's, there are several different things, you know, it's kind of an AIP protocol, right? The autoimmune protocol, which is sort of your paleo, but um, excludes eggs. So there's a little bit of trial and error in all the diets. Again, like, I don't like to sort of subscribe to one thing. um, Because we again, we understand that brains can be inflammatory, they activate part of the immune system. And anytime there's immune system activation, that's inflammation, right? That's what that's, you know, what can create inflammation. So with uh, certainly with someone who has a diagnosis, definitely, that's for me, that's kind of a low hanging fruit, like that's what we go with, you know, no grains, no legumes. And, um, you know, a lot of times we get good results for sure. I mean, sometimes you have to do the no eggs, um, I usually try to do some kind of a um, elimination diet even further, just based on testing of, you know, food sensitivities. But but it definitely, you know, that's that's sort of what's documented. I mean, there isn't that much formal research, but anything that we are kind of seeing out there in literature is pointing out that, you know, paleo style diet is helpful for autoimmune conditions and can not only treat them, but also you know, reverse them. Because as you know, conventional medicine doesn't believe in cure for autoimmunity. It's sort of one of those, you know, we're not sure why it happens, you know, your immune system attacks self. Uh, I remember I put something, I posted something on Instagram about the, you know, the development of autoimmune disease. And a lot of people were surprised that, you know, one of the conditions that are necessary for the development of autoimmunity is the leaky gut or the hyper, you know, permeability of the digestive tract. Which again, to me, no matter what kind of condition a client comes to me with, we always look at the gut, except, you know, I think I had one client where she was like, my digestion is great. And, you know, I go, you know, I'm super regular. And I was like, okay, you're kind of a unicorn. So, all right, we're just going to, you know, do other things. But in most cases, we look at gut health. And I really do believe that, you know, all disease begins in the gut. So I think paleo diet works for autoimmunity because it is helping to kind of tamper down that inflammation and heal the leaky gut, which is normally the underlying sort of condition of why the autoimmune disease develops. I have a question about, um, I get migraines, but vestibular Mm -hmm. migraines. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if any foods would be helpful for that, because I don't know if that's related to the gut at all, or if it's more... I mean, it's more nerve related, I guess, but I'm mm-hmm. just curious on your thought around something like that, like headaches, migraines, vestibular, mm-hmm. dizziness, mm-hmm. vertigo mm-hmm. type things. Yeah. Yes. Headaches and migraines are kind of, you know, they're tricky because they seem so kind of removed from, they certainly seem removed from the gut, right? That's kind of like what we call extra intestinal symptoms of something that might be going on in the gut. Um, so I would, de- I, I definitely look at, gut health with anybody with headaches and migraines. And um, just just a couple of days ago, actually, I have a I have a client with migraines like three times a week, 
you know, debilitating. Um, we've been working together for several months and it was mostly on kind of taking things out of her diet. You know, really, I mean, she's, she's sort of playing the detective and I'm making sense of things for her, you know, scientifically. Yeah. Um, so we've been taking things out and, you know, we started with um, any sources of glutamate, which is an ex- sort of, it, it's an amino acid that's excitatory. Um, so a lot of times people with migraines and, you know, migraine headaches are sensitive to glutamate in the diet. So MSG, certainly like, you know, in Chinese food, uh, processed foods, those would be an issue. A lot of um, some mushrooms are high in glutamate, walnuts are high in glutamate. There's some, you know, there's some mm. foods that are high in glutamate that we kind of started to, you know, take out one by one. That helped. They sort of went down to, you know, one migraine every seven days. And then we started working on histamine, which again is, is you know, is an immune system reaction, right? And it's something that is also related to leaky gut, interestingly enough. Um, histamine sensitivity usually results when someone has that hyperpermeability of their, you know, in the digestive tract lining. So we started working on, you know, reduction of histamine. And, you know, last I spoke with her, she said 19 days without a migraine. So that was wow. like, yeah. Um, so food, I mean, food is, food is magic. <laughs> a friend of mine was saying that the other day, you know, food is magic. We really, you know, when we change how we fuel our body, we can really see the difference. Um, one of the things like, for, you know, for instance, like ketogenic diet is a treatment for epilepsy, because again, brain is so receptive to changes in the fuel, right? You go from glucose to fats, all of a sudden, the whole kind of neurotransmission changes. So that's, you know, headaches and migraines, definitely. I mean, they're, you know, they vary. Again, you were saying it might be something more structural, um, I don't know if you've had, you know, scans to kind of see exactly what's yeah. you know, what's going on. But Interesting, though, no one actually, this is years ago when I went through the journey of like figuring out all this stuff, mm-hmm. no one talked about the gut. Everybody, you know, I got scans, I did this test, that test, blah, blah, blah. But I never did anything with the gut, which is interesting. No one ever talked about my diet. Now that I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it, I ch- changed my diet myself. Yeah. But no one really talked about it, which is actually interesting. And I was going to ask you about the histamine thing that you mentioned. What does that mean? Like what kind of foods have histamines in them? Um, Histamine is something that we produce and need and we get from the foods. Mm -hmm. Uh, But some people just don't kind of lack the enzyme. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's genetically the genetic predisposition or that leaky, you know, the the whole leaky gut condition. Uh, But histamine is... Um, like in leftovers, for instance, when you keep your especially animal protein leftovers, histamine content builds up. Um, you know, seafood like sh- you know shrimp is high in histamine. Hmm. Um, bone broth, um, interestingly enough, you know really? it's such a healthy food, but it's high in histamine. So yeah, there's there's kind of a whole you know group of foods that are that are high, and those are you know they may be a problem for people who do not have enough of the histamine breaking, you know, the enzyme that breaks down histamine. If you've ever had your 23andMe or Ancestry done, it actually has your entire genome. So this yeah. is something that can be run through like a platform and they can decode everything that has to do with your health that like 23andMe doesn't give you. Um, and they actually look at the um, at the enzyme. Which one is that? Um, the- it's a D, so it's the enzyme is called uh, DAO. But how do you get that tested? 
Uh, so 23 well, you said and you can me, do it through 23 and 23 and me. Yeah. And then they give you uh, just a file, like a, they call it a raw data file. Yeah. Um, and then you can send it to me and I'll run it through this professional platform. Oh, interesting. That kind of do That's very cool. Does that show you also if you have, yeah. is that the mother gene? Uh, uh, how do you say it? I'm saying it wrong. It's... Um, Oh, the MTHFR. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes, you mm-hmm. learn all. Yeah. Well, it has, I mean, we have, you know, 24,000 genes. Um, this particular one, of course, you already have the raw data from 23andMe, and then the, uh, you know, AI just scans it for any genes that are pertinent to nutrition, exercise, you know, anything that's actionable, right? Because 23andMe gives you silly stuff like, is your earlobe attached or detached? <laughs> and I'm like, well, mine is detached and I can see it right. and it kind of doesn't really give me anything. But if I see that, you know, I have a mutation in my vitamin D receptor and my vitamin D just never budges, you know, now I know. Now I know I need to be taking, you know, twice as much or three times as much of my vitamin D supplement as I normally do to kind of move the needle on that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We hope you like this episode with Natasha Coughlin. Stay tuned for part two, where we talk about gut health and much, much more. Thanks for listening to Nirvana Sisters. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Also, find us on Instagram at Nirvana Sisters. If you loved what you just listened to or know someone that would, please share it and tag us. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of Nirvana Sisters. We'll continue to watch out for all things wellness so you don't have to. Bye. Thank you.